Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 1. For the law, having had a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And moving to verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sacrificed. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. I have a question this morning that a lot of us don't often think about, but when we do, it troubles us. And that is, what, what part do we have in our own salvation? What do you have to do? There's certain requirements on your part. How do you get right with God, as they say? What acts of penance or remorse must you show that you actually did it? To show a true change of heart. What do you got to do? And what would you be willing to do to know that you have favor with God and are an adopted child of His? What would you do? What lengths would you go to? I ask this this morning because in the Scriptures it's recorded that the Old Testament set up the rules and regulations that every year they had to have these certain offerings for the overlooking of sin. And those sins required rams, bulls, goats, and occasionally a lamb. Every year, those things were sacrificed. There were peace offerings, there were other kinds of offerings that also required animals, because those things are required, as Scripture records it, it's the shedding of blood, or it is bloodshed that covers sin. So blood has to be shed, or a life has to be shed, because the wages of sin is death. So the wages of their sin was the death of the sacrificial animal to overlook their previous sins. But the problem was, 
every year that had to be redone. And that, as you see, would have been perpetual year after year after year. Even until the time of Christ, they were still doing this. As time went on in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and all sacrifices stopped. No more animals were sacrificed. But in their heart, they wondered, the Jewish community wondered, how am I going to have a sacrifice that covers my sin now? What am I going to do? How are we going to find mercy and grace from God now that the temple sacrifices have ended? That same question has been pervasive ever since. And maybe you've heard or maybe you watched this a few years ago. I think it was early 2019, maybe maybe even before then, that um, the uh, certain sect of the Jewish community, very high standard, wanting to re-implement this, built a new altar, expecting that the temple would one day be restored. And what they had to do to make that altar usable, according to Scripture, was purify it. And the way you purify that is to make a sacrifice. So I, I watched this live. I don't know if you saw this or not. But outside of Jerusalem, near one of the walls, they had taken this altar they had made, beautiful altar, and in the process they sacrificed an animal on that altar to purify it. I had never seen that process done before or since. And I saw that happen as they purified that, and then they took it, once they were done with the altar, they took it and now it's put back in storage for when the time is ready. They're waiting for the time to be ready when their sins can be overlooked again. Some in that community believe that the atrocities that the Jewish people have suffered from have been because their sins have not been overlooked. That God hasn't forgiven them or overlooked them since 70 A.D. That's a long time. And it's interesting. I want to give you some background on this. The Jewish community and the Samaritan community were different people who believed the same kind of things about themselves. In the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, Jesus meets with her and says, Salvation is of the Jews. And she says, Well, we worship here on this mountain. The fact is, Today, there are still a few Samaritan descendants, not many in number, that still worship in that exact same way and have since the time of Christ. Did you know that? It's interesting what they do. It's just a few dozen families that are left today, but they celebrate Passover outdoors under the light of the full moon. They carry out the injunction of the first Passover in Exodus, as faithfully as possible. Before they can carry out the Passover, though, this Passover lamb has to be slain. At around sunset, the men who head their household bring their lambs to a certain area for sacrifice in Samaria. This happens every year, has for years. Then at a given signal, a shofar blown generally is what they use, all of the lamb's throats are cut simultaneously and the blood is drained from their carcasses. Kind of like what's on the picture of the bulletin. After that, the lambs are skinned and roasted for the meal, which will commence around midnight. 
There are only a few now left who kill and dress their lamb. And for that reason alone, the bloody, messy procedure of the Samaritan Passover would be a sobering experience for all of us. But added, this is even the greater significance of the event itself. The Samaritan sacrifice transports us back to a time of Christ when the slaughter of the lambs and its accompanying sights and smells would remind the worshipers of how costly sin actually is. How much more would we be inspired then to think of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, as he shed his precious blood for us? Every year they had that reminder that the wages of sin is death. And the lamb was covering that cost. When Jesus went to celebrate the Passover with his disciples on that last night of his earthly life, he was under extreme duress. He was about to end the necessity for further sacrifices. He would be the final sacrifice to start and complete a new covenant that he was establishing foretold long before in the scriptures. But these things had to happen in a timely fashion for it all to work out, to fulfill scripture. The timing had to be perfect, and the risks involved that could thwart these plans were many. Any mishap could foil this plan of God that was about to happen. God's plan in history of salvation hung in the balance that things would happen as they were supposed to this night. Jesus knew this. He was short on time. Things had to be done when they needed to be done. When Judas was set to betray him, Jesus says, do it quickly. He didn't say, go ahead and do it. He said, do it quickly. Because time is of the essence. There wasn't much time and it had to be done right away Jesus' time was short it had to be done urgency was present it had to unfold a certain way at certain times to fulfill the scripture several things had to occur for this night to happen in the right way First, the Passover meal had to be prepared and before Jesus arrived to the meal. A water pitcher had to be present. We find out next week why that water pitcher had to be present. The disciples were there to prepare the meal and they had to know where to go. This was foreclosed and un, unknown to them how they would find the place. Jesus was a wanted man by the temple leaders. His closest disciples would have been watched closely looking for Jesus amongst them. All the activities had to be done secretly to avoid detection, including setting up Passover and going to that place where it would be held. Jesus knew how to make this happen. He had a plan that was set in motion just as he did a few years, excuse me, a few days before in procuring a donkey for his entrance into Jerusalem to fulfill scripture yet again. Now, 
all things are in order. The lambs were to be sacrificed and made ready to be eaten. And when that was done, Passover was commenced throughout Jerusalem. What was Jesus doing here? Why was he so concerned about this timing? And, and why did this all have to happen during Passover? What's so important about that? The Bible teaches us that Jesus was being prepared and preparing himself for his own crucifixion. He already knew it was going to happen. He had some instructions for the disciples. He instituted Holy Communion. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was soon to be arrested. But there was a bigger picture here that was unfolding that the disciples could not see, but Jesus was keenly aware of. He was preparing to be the high priest foretold in Psalm 110 that says you are a priest forever after the lineage and type of Melchizedek. Jesus knew that this is who he was going to be, a high priest, a permanent one, one that didn't need a man-made tabernacle to offer sacrifice or forgiveness. It was time, as Scripture says, for God to make His dwelling with us. That He was going to dwell with His people. And there was a way for that to happen, and Jesus was about doing that business. While in the temple, bulls, goats, other animals being sacrificed for sin, and as each one was sacrificed, they would cry out as its neck was cut. This would have been a familiar sound to them as thousands upon thousands of animals were sacrificed on a regular basis. To us, it's like that animal cruelty, you know, called the Humane Society. This is an inhumane treatment. But during Passover, at the sound of the shofar, all the sacrificial lambs were to be cut simultaneously across the throat. Bleeding could be heard throughout Jerusalem of terrified lambs. This, though, was a celebration. It wasn't a tragedy as we go, oh, they're, they're, they're killing animals. This is horrible. They're going, this is a celebration. God's going to give us freedom through this. We're thankful for this opportunity. And we're going to find freedom. But next year we're going to have to do it again. <clears throat> the lamb's death and the blood signify God passing over sin as Passover was and redemption for another year from bondage. And it would be secured during this festival. It was very joyous, very happy occasion for them. In the temple, they knew that a paschal lamb for the nation would be slain on behalf of the people the next day. It wasn't the same day as the meal. It was in the same time frame that it started, but it was at the end of that day when the paschal lamb for the nation was sacrificed in the temple. This lamb signified God's goodness and grace to the nation, not just to the families that were celebrating their Passover meal together. As we know, that next day, Jesus gave his life to complete the requirements for the new 
and permanent covenant of forgiveness. He shed his blood as a final act of sacrifice. It was intended to end all other sacrifices, deeming them unnecessary. No more bulls, rams, goats, sheep, birds, lambs, etc. would need to be slaughtered to gain God's provision, favor, blessing, or to receive your praise. None of that would have to be offered again. No animal would ever again have to give their life because Jesus took care of it all. In our life, we sometimes wonder, how can God forgive me? It's those voices inside our head that say, yes, I know you love me, God, but. God, I know that you've forgiven me, but. And I know your word says it's for everybody, but. And those little voices that call out are the lambs bleeding, hoping that those voices can die out inside of us and no longer question what God is doing for us on our behalf through Jesus. But those voices keep saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not holy, I'm not godly. And Jesus agrees with that when He gives His lifeblood. But those voices don't silence inside of our minds. And we still hear the calling of it saying, but did God really do this? Did it really happen? Did He really stop it all? Or are we just like the Jewish community wondering, how am I going to get forgiveness now that the temple's gone? What am I going to do now? Am I really, really a child of God? And we wonder these things. And those voices sometimes quiet themselves when we get in the presence of God and hear of His good work on our behalf through Christ. But for some reason, those voices come back. We can't quiet them down. Say, God, why, why can't I get this voice to be quiet? Why can't I accept that the one and done for Jesus on the cross covers it all? That I am accepted in Him at Calvary. Why can't the voice inside me be quieted? It's an interesting thing that Scripture tells us that Jesus went to the cross. And before he went, he was brutalized. He was brought on trial. Yet through this whole process, he didn't say anything. Fulfilling the Scripture in Isaiah 53, 7, that he was a lamb, like being led to slaughter, but was silent as a sheep before a shearer. Did you know that a sheep before a shearer is a powerful imagery because it actually makes them feel better. But a lamb is not mature. It doesn't understand that yet. So the first time it's sheared, it's scared. A lamb to the shear is frightened. A sheep is not. A lamb bleeds. A sheep is thankful. Didn't know if you knew that. But our scripture tells us that Jesus was mature in his suffering. That he did not speak or complain. And his silence and his death on Calvary was intended 
to silence those bleeding voices inside of our head as well. It was intended to stop the animal sacrificial necessity according to the Old Testament and Jewish understanding. It was meant to quiet all the bulls yelping and the goats neighing and all the different animals crying out in the temple for forgiveness. Jesus was meant to silence it all with his silence to quiet and say it's no longer necessary for that to happen. But we sometimes miss this. We say, God, what about me though? I don't know what to do, God. I don't know if I'm worthy. But your work can't save you. You can't do enough to earn God's grace and mercy. And that seems like we're frustrating ourselves, but we're not. The fact is we don't have to do that. There is no reciprocal action we can give God to make Him want to forgive us. The reciprocal action is that Christ died once for all on the cross and we don't have to do anything. That covers what we've done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, I read it. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. You still remember it every year. You never forget. When Jesus takes away the sin, He washes your conscience clean. You don't have to think about it anymore. or wonder if it's done. He did it. When He says it's finished, it's done. His silence silenced the necessity for any more distressed voices in your head or animals to be slain. And here's the amazing thing. Scripture records that Jesus died at the exact same moment that the shofar blew in the temple saying that the paschal lamb for the nation is now being cut in the throat. Jesus died at the exact moment that shofar went blasted. It was at that point that the Roman centurion said, this must be the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. The question is, do you trust the work of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness and eternal redemption, relying on that and that alone? Are you still trying to figure out how to make it your own way? Or to wonder if you even made it at all? Remember at the beginning I asked you what you need to do to be forgiven? What do you think is your part? The Bible tells us to repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel is all it says. The gospel of Jesus Christ that he did what he was supposed to do to bring to us what it was supposed to bring. Eternal life in Him and Him alone. Please know there is no act that you can do but to come humbly to Jesus and seek His righteousness. Repent. 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 Believe. 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 
when you believe, the voice is quiet. The animals no longer need to sacrifice. And those things in your head that have so strongly resisted are silenced. But you have to believe not half-heartedly, but with a broken and a contrite heart at the devastation that sin has caused and created in you, in your life, and in the world around us. Verse 18. Now where there is remission of sin, there's no longer an offering for sin. You no longer have to pay for it. Jesus did it. And that is the true celebration of Passover. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning, for the work that Jesus did for us on our behalf that we could not do. Help us to repent and enter into that relationship. Saying, God, I, I trust that this is for me. Quiet down anything inside me that would contradict it. Uncertainty, questions, doubts, fears, all those things, Heavenly Father, that your blood would cover over those and wash us clean and our conscience be white as snow. Because you said we are the righteousness of you in Christ. And that righteousness, Heavenly Father, you said, is a gift. We don't act into it. You pour it on us. Thank you. Amen.